Why did the tree install solar panels? Because it wanted to be a power plant. <laughs> Hello everybody and welcome to episode 76 of Starting Sustainability. I'm your host, Kaylin Chenoweth. Hello, everybody. I'm feeling so much better this week. Thank you for everyone who reached out with your concerns and your tips to make my voice come back. It is back, not quite at 100%, but still getting there. And that's because it was in the 60s and 70s. And then for the last two days, it snowed. It snowed. Indiana is such a ridiculous whirlwind up and down, in and out, just weather abnormalities all around. <laughs> so don't worry, it will be back up again to the 70s and 80s in two days, of course. Let's talk about what all has been going on this past week. It's time to catch up with Kaylin. We actually went to a birthday party last weekend, and of course, our gift was sustainably wrapped. But the best part about the birthday party, from my perspective, was it was really cool to see that there were other gifts that were also wrapped sustainably in cloth. And the host of the party had compostable paper plates. And they had minimal decorations that were 100% reusable for the next party. And a lot of homemade food resulting in minimal packaging compared to store-bought items. So I was very, very impressed with the birthday party that we went to. Another thing I found out this past week that I just had to share with everybody was Yoplait makes a yogurt called Wee Yogurt. It's a French style yogurt and it comes in a cute little glass jar and there is an aluminum foil lid and you take the lid off, you eat your yogurt, and now you have the jar but there's no lid. And I found out that you can go to the Wee Yogurt website and you can special order lids for the jars. This is so great because these little jars are perfect for crafting or snacks on the go but not having lid was quite a big problem, <laughs> making it very challenging to reuse them and upcycle them. But now you can get the lids. The lids are plastic, but hey, at least by getting the lids, you reuse the jar over and over and you're only getting the lids that you need versus every single jar coming with a plastic lid, knowing most of them is gonna to go to the landfill. So this way it's a controlled amount of plastic lids and it's not single use, it's designed to be used over and over. So it's still a win. So hats off to Yoplait, good job. And if you're like me and make your own homemade yogurt when you have free time every three months or so, <laughs> but at least now you have little jars that you can put the yogurt in and a lid to put on them, awesome. Also, I just want to give you an update. I did get my order for the Meow Meow Tweet deodorant that came in, but I have not used it yet because it literally came in yesterday and this morning out of old habit, I just grabbed my non-zero waste deodorant that I've been using because I wasn't awake yet and I wasn't really thinking about it. So I, have, I still need to test it out. Once I test it out this next week, then I will give you an update on if it's working or not. And the last thing that I wanted to share with you that's been going on in my world is that my husband has proudly announced he has decided to go local for beer. And when I did not jump up and down for joy, he asked why I wasn't so excited about it. And that's because I know my husband. He is using sustainability as an excuse to buy fancy expensive beer. And I know it's going to cost more. <laughs> so yes, I'm still proud of him even though it is a little tainted. <laughs> but small steps, baby, teeny, tiny, 
little steps, he is ever so slowly coming around to the sustainability movement. I will still celebrate the little teeny tiny victory. (laughs) Before we get into the interview that I have lined up with you, I want to do our weekly challenge. Now we started this because it is Earth Month. Actually, today is April 22nd that I'm recording. It is Earth Day. So I hope everybody's doing some really cool Earth Day activities. And I'll be excited to share those with you next week and see what everybody's doing. Spending lots of time outside, planting trees and bushes and flowers, making birdhouses, all this cool, crazy stuff. Let me open up this tin of my Eco Warrior cards that I got from my niece, Emily, and draw a card. So our challenge for this week is... It says, most washing machines are efficient enough to work at lower temperatures, so switch to a cooler washing program. Be sure to wash a full load so that you're not wasting any water or electricity. Hey, all right, I feel pretty good because I already wash everything in cold water. That is for sustainability and because I got tired of my colors running all over the place and turning everything else different colors, so I just wash everything on cold by default. And... We do the full load. (laughs) Correction. I do the full load. (laughs) I do the three quarters load. (laughs) Uh, I have been working with my husband. He's very good at washing one or two items at a time. And I tell him, you better round up other stuff and throw it in there. (laughs) That's just efficient, sustainable, and it's one less load of laundry that I have to do. (laughs) So all around, everybody's happy with this new washing routine. Hopefully you can implement it into your home life and also be happy with this new washing routine. For this episode, I have Danny Kennedy, who joins me in this interview, and we are talking and learning all about his company, New Energy Nexus, as well as solar panels and all the questions related to that. It's almost like two big topics all smashed into one episode, but it's jam-packed full of great information and hopefully answers everybody's questions about being an environmental entrepreneur and at the same time answering any questions that you may have in regards to solar panels and solar energy. Here it is, my interview with Danny Kennedy. Danny is a clean energy veteran. He is the CEO of New Energy Nexus, a nonprofit which connects entrepreneurs everywhere to capital to build an abundant clean energy economy that benefits all. He also co-founded Sungevity in 2007, the fifth largest distributed solar installer in the U.S. with over 400 employees. Danny also served as the managing director of the California Clean Energy Fund, an early investor in Tesla, which includes overseeing the $25 million Cal Seed Fund. Finally, Danny also authored Rooftop Revolution, How Solar Power Can Save Our Economy and Our Planet. Please welcome this super busy, sustainable superstar, Danny Kennedy. Hello, Danny. Thank you. Hi, good to meet you. Thanks for having me. Please tell us about yourself. Well, um, you know, like you said, I'm just a a busy beaver working on clean energy out of California, but now around the world. Um, I I still wear a number of those hats, no longer in an operating role at any one business, but helping lots of startups. We do training programs around the world with entrepreneurs. And we also have funds like the CalSeed Fund you mentioned in California. We've made about 100 investments on behalf of the state of California um, over the last four years or so, you know, everything from new solar technologies to 
better batteries, all sorts of things. And, you know, a lot of what we do aside the, the capital connection is kind of the human capital and the social capital, you know, making the networks, introducing entrepreneurs to partners, to corporate acquirers or off takers for their services. You know, the clean energy economy is booming around the world, has been for the last decade or so, and it's just really begun. It's kind of an inflection point, somewhat like cell phones circa 2010 or something or other, you know, just beginning to really take off. And it's going to be a nutty decade where our work joining the dots and, and connecting stuff to make it better and to make it more equitable and, and good for everyone um, is, is kind of fun place to be. Great work to have. Awesome. That whole introduction I read is from your marketing person. And I did some research to prepare and discovered that you are quite a big deal. Like have we've, have, I've already listed you're involved in quite a bit, but even going back to a young age, you were an activist at age 12, preventing the construction of the dam in Tanzania. And uh, I went to soccer practice when I was 12. So, <laughs> Look, I, you know, I, I was an activist way back when the Tasmania dam fights in Australia were all the rage in the 80s. So this is dating myself, right? I'm a 20th century child. And um, what happened was I did a lot of that stuff, you know, fighting what was bad with the 20th century version of energy infrastructure, like damming beautiful wild rivers or burning coal, which was causing air pollution and climate change. But, you know, at some point, it's it's one thing to be against something and it's another to be for something. And I think what I've really enjoyed in the last sort of 20 some years is building businesses, employing people, creating companies, creating value, not just economic value, which has been one of the byproducts, but, you know, community value, you know, jobs, like I said, careers, food on the table for families, clean air, clean water, all these benefits that come with clean energy. Uh, and, and that's the exciting news. You know, we have a solution to those problems that I was fighting against in the 20th century. And the solution can take us even further down the line this century um, towards a better, better future, basically. That is correct. That is true. I do agree with all of that. We covered a lot of your accolades from the past. Let's focus on what you're currently involved with. And you are the CEO of the New Energy Nexus. So can you please elaborate on what that is? Sure. It's a funny organization. It supports startups is the purpose. And we do that with funds. So we manage grant funds for the state of California, investment funds around the world in places like India and Singapore to put money into companies that are creating clean energy solutions in their communities, in their markets. Um, We also train the entrepreneurs. So we run what we call accelerator programs and, and various forms of boot camp and hackathon and startup processes to sort of get the people that start these companies, the founders, further down the line. And when we get really good at our craft, we're like mashing together the startup staff, the founders with, you know, big corporates like Microsoft or Google or Wells Fargo. And we're saying, you know, you're looking for electric vehicles to deliver your packages, FedEx. We've got, you know, this company that's all about smarter electric vehicles and battery platforms, but needs an off taker, like a a purchase order to pay for them to build their first factory. And, you know, we try to make magic happen by joining these players together and accelerate what would otherwise happen in time. So it's a pretty um, diverse, wonderful set of work. We've got 80 people around the world in 10 cities doing it. Um, the biggest programs are in New York and California. 
but we're also working across the, the heartland doing work, particularly in the battery supply chain, which we think is a really big opportunity space for America as we go into this kind of clean energy future. Another thing that you've been involved in is that you were, you were, you still are managing director of the California Clean Energy Fund. So what is that like? That's right. So New Energy Nexus grew out of the California Clean Energy Fund, which has been going for 15 years. And as, as you mentioned, you know, we were investors in Tesla really early on, before my time, by the way, I was not managing director then, but good on my predecessors for being involved in that very disruptive company that's clearly demonstrated what American ingenuity can do with a, with a good immigrant executive like Elon Musk, who people forget came from Africa. Um, so, you know, the, the work we do in California is manage a, a grant program for the CEC, the California Energy Commission, putting money into startups, about, you know, $600,000 max per company to kind of get them rolling. We also put them through an accelerator and train them. But we also do things like um, testing and verification and measuring their products. So, you know, say you've got a prototype wind turbine blade that you're trying to sell to the market because it's a better way to make wind turbine blades, which we want to scale manufacturing in the Midwest. We've got testing facilities all across California with the University of California, where you can go to a lab and a scientist and some students maybe from the university will run all the tests to prove your product works and, and give the prototype some seal of approval. So we can do that through a program we call CalTestBed, um, and then we have other things down the line, including introductions to bigger investors than us that can really capitalize businesses and make them go. So we're, we're full service sort of pipeline, soup to nuts from very early stage startup through prototype and beyond making clean energy entrepreneurs succeed in California. And, you know, one of the reasons California is doing so well, even out of COVID, out of the last decade of difficult financial and economic times is it's gone this direction. It's had mandates and policies to support it, saving money on electricity, saving money on transport costs, reducing pollution, creating jobs, creating new companies. You know, a fun fact, California's largest value export last year, 2020, was electric vehicles. You know, everyone thinks about Tesla because they're there, but there's also bus companies like Proterra and BYD. There's Change and Rivian and... You know, there's uh, two dozen electric vehicle manufacturers in California, micro mobility scooters and bike companies, all the way up to heavy duty vehicles being made now in California. And that's bigger than Apple, Google, dope, agriculture, wine, whatever you think of California as Hollywood. All those industries were less by dollar value than the electric vehicle market in California. So this works as an economic strategy. We've proved it. And now we just want to do it across the country and around the world. That is a really fun fact. I did not know that. So that is great. And you're right. When I think electric cars, I immediately think Tesla. And I do know that GM and Ford, like they're all working on hybrid versions and their own electric versions. But yeah, I don't think about city buses because I'm in Farmland, USA. <laughs> but, wow. but you're right. There's so much more. That's wonderful. And electric's coming to your community. You know, tractors are getting electrified because they're smarter and cheaper to operate when they don't have belts and oil and all that stuff. The maintenance on them is, is less and they can also be automated. So like harvesters and farm machinery is going to be electrified as well. This is going to sweep across vehicle platforms very quickly. 
So speaking of agriculture and the farming equipment, you're also part of the California Seed Fund. What is that? And is that related to the California Clean Energy Fund? Can you explain yeah, that? that? That's, that's the, the, the early, early stage stuff. So $150,000 into your company to get it rolling, form the startup um, and you know, start to build your first product. Probably you're not really making revenue. You're just trying something on and, and developing a prototype and finding what we call product market fit. So that's oh, the, I thought the seed fund had to do with agriculture. No. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> it stands for the Sustainable Energy Entrepreneur Development Program. So Cal Seed. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> I'm glad. I mean, it's all a lot of words. I, I apologize, but um, it's a fun network approach where we, we, as I say, have a pipeline that will take an entrepreneur from what I call Eureka to exit. You know, like Eureka is tractors. We should electrify those. You know, that's much smarter. You know, all the mechanics time, all that cost and all the oil and stuff you put into tractors, we can get rid of if we electrify them and they'll be smarter and more able to be programmed for harvesting and so on and so forth. So that's the eureka where you realize you've got a better idea. Then you have to like take your idea and make it into a company and find some team members to toy with the idea and turn it into a product. And then you've got to go find a customer who might test your product in the farming community and take your tractor and test it on the landscape and see whether it lasts and whatever, you know, so there's a product market fit stage and commercialization of that product. And then there's sales and the ramping of a business. So we have ways to support startups from the very earliest all the way through the kind of exit phase when they sell to another company or they go public or whatever the story is that they end up with. Um, and and that we want to do more and more of those because the world needs more and more of these solutions sooner. So if any of the listeners of the podcast have an entrepreneurial spirit or idea or product, what is the best way for them to move forward? Because this is going all over the US, all around the world. Is all your stuff just California based for California residents or can anybody apply to it? Look, we've got different offerings for different people in different places. New Energy Nexus, the reason we took the idea of CalCEF, the California Clean Energy Fund, and tried to globalize it was exactly your, your question. You know, So your audience would have options. Go to the website sign up for the newsletter, get involved in the Slack community. We've got this community on Slack with like three and a half thousand entrepreneurs and investors and people like, you know, your listeners that are interested in this space and they can go and share or they can go look for a job or they can go find a co-founder or they can just ask questions. There's resources there and training tools and tips and tricks. We will have different offerings at different times. Like our newsletter we put out every month that, you know, it runs the, the competitions and the deadlines for grants and, you know, programs with governments and investment competitions and all sorts of things. So it's just a way at newenergynexus.com to get involved, start to educate yourself, start to go through that process. Like if they're seriously entrepreneurially minded, we probably do have something for them, in other words. And, and you know, like I'd encourage them to do it because, as I said, the world needs us, needs needs this work done. And, but it's a big gulp, you know, it's not easy. I've done it myself. I started a number of companies and each time it's kind of like this leap of faith where you got to go take a bet on yourself and the more support you can get, the better and, and the more likely you will succeed. So the last major topic of conversation that I wanted to hit on 
with solar because you wrote a book called Rooftop Revolution, How Solar Power Can Save Our Economy and Our Planet. I know there's, this could easily be a five hour long conversation, but we'll try to give a condensed version for the listeners of starting sustainability. Why is solar so great? Well, basically it cuts out all the middle people and it's just a nice efficient way to get what we need, which is electricity. You know, like what we used to do and still do in too many places is take sunlight that fell on earth a couple hundred million years ago and grew plants through photosynthesis. Those plants died and were buried and turned into coal, oil and gas. And then we dig that stuff up and we burn them because that was the only way we knew how to release the energy and the chemical bonds in the plants that photosynthesis created. And, and then by releasing that energy, we drive turbines or pistons in an internal combustion engine and we get what we need, the movement of, of vehicles and the electricity for lights and internet and all the rest. We don't need any of that. We can just take sunlight direct from the source, falling fresh from the sky every morning falls on a solar panel and pops out the other side as electricity, literally photons in electrons out now at about 20% efficiency versus the ridiculously inefficient process. I just described 200 million year old sunlight converted into plants and dinosaurs that died and were dug up and then burnt and then boiled water to drive steam, to make turbines go crazy, inefficient madness that also happened to pollute the sky and the water and, create all this waste and kill people and, and cause climate change. So here we are with a much better, more direct, low cost process that has almost no environmental footprint relative to the fossil fuel footprint. And it, it, it's in the community, it's distributed, it can be owned locally, it can be on your roof, in your control, like putting the power in the hands of the people, literally and figuratively. It's no longer like the business of big, central station monopolies it's like everywhere your community solar farm your your rooftop solar system um and so it's just a a better way to do the thing we call electricity and uh that's why it's great it's also you know if people are interested in jobs three to seven times as many jobs in a kilowatt hour of electricity coming out of solar versus steam from coal um even though it's cheaper you know, like that's what people don't get. Like this is lower cost electricity, like where the solar power business has grown and taken market share from gas and coal in America, you pay lower wholesale electricity rates and yet it employs more people and it doesn't pollute the world. Kind of cool. You said that very well, very condensed, but you hit all the major topics. And I love your analogy with the dinosaurs because that really helps drive it into people who are not familiar with the old-fashioned process versus now the new current solar process. You do keep saying that it is lower cost. However, when I go to look at companies to install solar panels on my house, that doesn't seem very low cost to me. It actually seems kind of expensive. Why is that so? Because you're paying for it in one hit. So you're getting 25 years worth of electricity when you buy your solar panels. So rather than paying for a bill through time where you're getting electricity out of the wall and you pay 90 bucks a month or 150 bucks a month, or whatever you pay, you're being asked to pay for your entire electricity supply for the next 25 years when you buy the solar panels up front. There's no on cost, like through time, you don't have to pay if you just install solar and just pay for it up front. 
you know, there's a little bit of maintenance, like washing the things, but not a lot. So you, you won't pay much through time. In, in other words, it's like buying a house. That's expensive unless you can put it on a mortgage and manage it. And then it might be less than your rent cost if you were renting that house. To, you know, that analogy. So one of the business models that we do a lot of work around and support startups to, to create, and two of the companies I've been involved with at the start, have been around financing solar because that is the barrier. You're exactly right. The barrier to customer adoption has been the upfront cost. You know, that capital expense used to be borne by big corporations that built the coal plant out in the countryside and shipped the electricity to the city or whatever, Edison and all those guys. So you're becoming your own power plant, right? When you buy a solar, farm, a solar system on your roof, a bank has to finance that for you or can finance that for you if you don't have it. Um, so does that make sense? Like we're, we're basically making it an operating expense, an OPEX rather than a CAPEX problem by financing it through time. Okay. Yes, that does make sense. Especially I didn't think about it as 25 years worth of electricity at once. And when you do that math, you're like, yeah, this is way significantly cheaper. <laughs> this is a much more efficient and pocket friendly <laughs> version. It, you know, like that, that's the, that's the aha that a lot of customers have. They go, I'm going to spend tens of thousands of dollars over the rest of my life in this house on an electricity bill, or I'm going to buy for $6,000 or $8,000 a solar system and have my power. Like, wow, sure. 8,000 bucks is a big ticket up top, but it's worth it by a long stretch. Yeah. When I just paid about $300 over the winter months <laughs> for my electricity because this whole entire house is electric there's no gas or anything and it's indiana it gets cold we got down to negative nine degrees in january so yeah it was a pretty expensive electric bill <laughs> so yeah and then the summertime is hot as heck and the electric bill goes up again <laughs> that's right i think the financing part would be significantly cheaper another thing that i have heard because i've only looked into getting solar panels and it has not come to fruition yet. And, and there's a lot of talk back and forth. Can you make money off of your solar panels? It's a depends question based on the regulations and the market rules in your state and, and place. So some places let you wheel the electricity back out when you're making more than you're using in your house, for example, or to get a credit for it at least. And the value of that credit is kind of like, the subject of all these policy debates and conversations around tariffs and in the electricity market and stuff. But the long story short is if we had a competitive electricity market, you would be able to get paid. And if you had a big roof, you'd be smart to put more solar on your roof to sell more out to the grid and to your neighbors and to other demand centers nearby. Um, in some countries like Australia, they let that happen. And so they have a very dynamic and competitive market and you have people building lots of solar every year, a lot, lot more per capita, like the highest rate of adoption than the US because the, the market is actually free and competitive. Whereas in America, we still have regulated monopolies is what they're called, but you know, a system whereby you get told you're going to get your electricity from this company and they say, we can't have you choosing your own electricity system and putting it on your roof. We want to stop you doing that. So we're going to charge you for the privilege to connect to our grid or whatever. Whereas in a free market, you'd actually be allowed to build your own productive asset and sell to the guy next door if you wanted to and, and access the grid. And that should be a right 
that we have as citizens uh, and producer consumers. It's where the world's going. America will catch up, honestly. Um, and that's the, the irony. You know, this is a technology we invented in 1954 in New Jersey. And now the whole world's going solar, like rapidly. I mean, Vietnam installed six gigawatts of solar in December last year on rooftops in Vietnam. Six gigawatts is like two nuclear power plants worth of photovoltaics, the solar capacity, like in one month. So if, if a small country like Vietnam can do this at this scale, uh, the, the states have to get with the program and allow the market to flourish and all this to happen. Wow, I did not realize that solar panels have been around or solar energy has been around since 1954. That's almost 70 years. Correct, which is about the time that most energy transitions take. Like if you think about the transition from like, you know, horse and buggy to the internal combustion engine vehicle or coal-fired power from like burning wood in stoves and stuff. You know, once it's invented, it takes a while to get going. It's taken that long. I mean, the first big uses, again, were American-made, you know, satellites were the first real market for photovoltaics, the solar cells, because we needed something to power the stuff we were putting in space and make a lot of telecommunications and stuff work. Oh, Yeah. Like, I never thought of that. Yeah. So, and that was, you know, the 1960s and 70s was like that. And then people started terrestrial applications. And, and you know, funny story for you and your listeners is um, one of the big markets, like around the turn of the century was clandestine agriculture, it was called, which is basically dope growing in America, you know, like in Humboldt County, California and places, because the FBI would get onto grow rooms by knowing where the electricity demand was for this, the lights that was growing the marijuana plants. And so people would use solar power to grow cannabis. And then that was like a big market for solar power providers. And a lot of contractors sort of got their first business making that happen. Electricians doing dope growing rooms and stuff. And then that turned into a big industry, which is now, you know, one of the major employers in America, like solar power employs more people than the coal mining industry, the coal power plant industry, and the railroad workers shunting coal around the country. The myth that solar is taking away jobs is just that, a total myth. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we're, we, we're well over 200,000 employees now in solar. So we've created many more. I think it's 50, 70,000 employees in coal and that's crashing. You know, coal is just been dying for a couple of decades. And, and you know the story, coal mines are automated. They're replacing the workers with machines and, and power plants don't actually employ that many people. You know, like electricians will get a lot more work in a world powered by solar because it's all over the place, right? So you've got to stitch it all together and, and it's wiring in between and the distribution layer, like the, the linesmen are more involved in that model than the the big capital intensive fossil fuel power station off in the distance, shipping stuff on a single cable into the city. It's just a more diverse and distributed workforce that's required to maintain a, a modern grid, which has variable renewable inputs from wind and solar and stuff and batteries behind the meter and in basements and all this. It's a very employment rich prospect and middle America should be really you know, excited about it because it's good jobs, union jobs, you know, it's, it's the real deal. While we're on the topic of the myths, there are two other things that I've heard that it doesn't store very well, 
and that it doesn't travel very well. So in terms of powering up a city, like the street lamps and getting it to the factories, things that would take up a lot more energy, but don't have as much rooftop space for all of the solar panels, that that would be an issue. That solar panel, that solar energy cannot support the needs of the city life. Is that true or false? False. Okay. <laughs> uh, storage first. Sure. You know, when the sun's not shining, the, the photovoltaics aren't producing power. That's true. Um, but the good news is most of the load of an American city or community is going to be during daylight hours, you know, and increasingly, as you mentioned, with air conditioning load or demand for electricity growing during during hot weather and summer months, um, that's a good match. So we produce power at the right time. As to its transportability or usefulness in a in a city or whatever context, sure, if the building isn't big enough to produce enough power for its own demand, then it's got to bring it in from somewhere else. Um, and that's how it's really working right now. It's sort of supplementing the existing grid. But that's a function of the grid. And the fact is we just haven't invested in the grid for a long time in America. We've sort of kept... 1950s technology, these big transmission towers and this kind of old school um, hub and spoke model uh, as the mainstay. Whereas a modern grid, if you go to, again, a country like Australia or Vietnam or South Korea or Europe, the Germans, et cetera, UK, which has shifted to, you know, almost 100% renewably powered system, the grid is much more flexible and integrated and you can have power being generated on your house, surplus electricity is going off to the neighbors or it's going into a battery down the block and being stored for later at night. Uh, you might have a battery in your own basement as an uninterrupted power supply. There's a solar farm out in the suburbs that's creating a lot of electricity that's not being consumed. So it's getting stored in a pump storage facility. It's it's a, what we call the energy internet, or that's what the Chinese call it, actually. It's a much more sophisticated system than the sort of dumb hub and spoke one-way technology it's bi-directional it's customer friendly you get to choose and play in that market um it requires software and intelligence but these are all things that america's meant to be great at right we do software that's what we do you know we make things smart we make things better we do hard things it's just in electricity everyone expects you know oh electricity it's just like you know you're you boil water off in the distance and you ship electricity down a cable in one direction and then everyone just consumes as much as they can. That's not how it works anymore. And the good news is, you know, to your question, that's probably a myth you've heard from 10 years ago. You know, California, again, largest economy in the country, fifth largest economy in the world. You know, we're now 33% solar powered most days and 70% renewably powered some days. You know, this is an enormous country, if it were its own country, of 40 million people powered with wind and a lot of solar and some hydro now, increasingly. And it manages it. Los Angeles doesn't fail. I mean, we, we had some blackouts last year after the fires, but nothing like Texas and the ERCOT system just last month. You know, Yeah, that, that was, was devastating. And that was the gas infrastructure. You know, that was very much about old technology, not built for the weather that we're getting now because of climate change. And it not it's too brittle. It's not robust to deal with the flexible requirements, whereas actually a renewably powered modern grid is able to do that. Very cool. Thank you so much for explaining all of that.
I'm guessing that the expected life span of a solar panel is 25 years because you said that's how much you'd be paying for up in advance. So what what is that the true lifespan of a solar panel? And then what is the maintenance on a solar panel? Well, here's a fun fact for you. No, it's not 25 years. It's much oh, okay. longer. Oh, even That's better. Yeah, even better. That's the warranty. When you buy it and stick it on your roof, you can assume economically, like your bank can safely finance for 25 years. But actually, what's the puppy going to do? It's not going to change. It just sits on your roof. It's got no moving parts. doesn't have anything that breaks down. doesn't need any new oil. There's no, nothing to the machine. It's just a semiconductor made of silicon sits in the sun the one thing that happens we think is that the glass gets brown because you know it's got a glass top so over maybe 50 60 years there's some discoloration but it's still effective until it sort of becomes so opaque that the solar panel cells don't get enough sunlight but you know yeah 50 years from now this machine's still making electricity so the true cost of electricity asymptotes towards zero. I mean, it, it goes very low when you really think about it. And economists don't like this because they don't like going, wait on, it should, the productive asset just works and works and works and works. That doesn't compute. We like things that depreciate and stop working. So they cap it at 25 years for their calculations. It's, an, it's, it's a completely, like, it's a bit of a mind-blowing, like, oh my God, we're building power systems today that will be working at the end of the century. When some guy builds a coal plant or a gas plant in your backyard, digs it up, destroys it, pollutes the air, poisons the water, does all that, they'll be gone in 30 years. We know that from history. That's what happens. There are solar panels that were built in the 70s and 80s in America, jet propulsion labs down in Southern California, still working at like 80 and 90% of the rated capacity 50 years later. Oh, awesome. So when the warranty is about to go out, so if I'm at 24 and a half years, I don't have to panic and try to get a whole new one. I, I don't even have to worry. In fact, I could probably just leave it to my kids to inherit. <laughs> Correct. The roof will fall down underneath it before this machine stops working. <laughs> like that's a crazy statement, but it's just a piece of, it's a very solid block. You know, it's aluminum, glass, and solar panels with some plastic back sheet that degrades as well. We've got to work that out. But long story short, there's not a lot to it. And to your question about maintenance, you know, if the squirrels nest in the wires underneath the panel and start gnawing on them, you might have to replace them, you know, because that's annoying. Or if the weather whips up a storm and gets some hail underneath or does some damage, maybe. But like the panels, pretty good. They're, they're bomb proof. You know, they're literally not bomb proof, but hail proof and even bulletproof in some cases. That was my um, next question. I was like, we get hail around here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, the golf ball test is what we used to call it. We used to throw golf balls at them. Um, uh, you've got to clean them. That's a big thing. You know, when you see a solar farm in the desert, one of the big issues is like dust gets on the, the solar panel and then kind of reduces the sunlight coming in. So there's some cleaning. So when you go up to the roof and you get all the leaves out of the gutter, that'd be a good time to just give it a wipe down with a wet rag. Right. I mean, you know, I'm not going to recommend that to your listeners because that's dangerous. Like you've got to be safe at working at heights. So you probably want to get someone in every few years to squeegee the thing, put them on a rope, but it's, it's not a big deal. I mean, you know, it, it reduces performance by a percentage point or two 
in a bad year of weather and whatever. But I know I'm a, a bullish solar advocate, right? I'm an entrepreneur that's you know made some success out of solar businesses. But these machines are kind of magic. They do this thing that we pay through the nose for and our society has paid great expense for in terms of tax subsidies and military effort and you know all the damage that it's done to build coal and gas and all the rest of it. And here we have a machine that does all that without much impact at all, you know, and, and no required cost. I mean, this is what true sustainability is, right? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's exactly what we're aiming for. What about other issues that could happen in the wintertime? We will have overcast, very cloudy days, probably for a week or two at a time. Is that going to be a negative effect or ice can build up on it? Like we've had ice storms just a couple of weeks ago, we had a big nasty ice storm. Is that going to affect the solar panel at all? Sure. And, you know, you got to work with your local contractor, local companies that do this, that get to know how to do it in the right way in your place. Like snow and ice, you know, you might put it at a different angle so it slides off, stuff like that. Um, overcast, not a big problem. I mean, you know, again, it'll reduce the production. So you might put an extra panel in your array or something like that. You know, like in San Francisco, where I first started a business, um, you know, they have fog all year round, right? And particularly in the summer months. So you sort of assume the sunniest time of year is going to be great, but there's all this fog over the city. So we would experience like 7% less solar being produced than we think should have been coming out of those panels. So, okay, adjust for that, build a slightly bigger rig. It's all doable. Uh, Not a lot of problems, you know. I'm not trying to belittle it. And, And, you know, one of the things is, Problems are good in the sense that then someone solves them. Oh, you need that to be cleaned or you need snow taken off it or ice protection to be done annually or whatever. Like that's a job for a local contractor. The cost structure of that entire system is still going to be less than your current electricity cost and it's not polluting the planet. If I live in an area where there are not currently solar installers, because I've been looking. (laughs) That's why my dream of solar panels has not come to fruition. Do you have any advice or recommendations on how to get them to come out here? Look, I I can't say easily because, um, you know, I don't know every state in the union and where to go for resource. I mean, I would imagine someone will service your territory as it were. But I think this is the great opportunity. You know, electricians in your community should at least add the offering of solar. They can get trained through NAPSEP certification or get a C46 license, whatever it might be, and get into the game because this is only going to grow. There's 80 million houses in America that need solar panels. We've done about 2 million of them. So there's a big growth spurt still to come. Uh, But I'm sorry, I don't have a direct answer for you. I I just look at the American Solar Energy Society or SIA, the Solar Energy Industry Association. They probably have tools how to find someone. There's some really cool um, services, you know, individual companies like Sunrun, but also um, marketplaces that can help match customers with good contractors in in their geography. See, I had not even heard of those resources, so I'm glad that you shared them. Good. That gives that gives me and other listeners direction on where to go. Yeah, there's a good company out of Boston that does this, um, and I'm trying to think of its Energy Sage might be a place to look. 
if the listeners want to get more information about new energy nexus or solar panels or anything else that we have talked about, what is the best way for them to get a hold of you to ask their questions? I will try to be good and answer questions. I'm, I'm a little bit under the, the pump, you know, too many questions coming through, but I, I, my Twitter feed is a good place to go. Danny Case Fun, D-A-N-N-Y-K-S-F-U-N. That stands for Solar for Universal Need. So Danny K, my name, Danny Kennedy, S-F-U-N at Twitter. Um, I blog with the same handle on Medium um, and newenergynexus.com is a great place to go for resources, particularly if some of your listeners are kind of entrepreneurially minded or toying with their own startup in this space, looking for resources, looking for ideas. That Slack community that I mentioned is a really great community of peers that would be fun folk to get to talk to and, and learn from as well. So heaps there, um, but plenty of um, materials out there in the ether on the internet uh, with this good work. I, I would look to organizations like Vote Solar, V-O-T-E, Vote Solar, another good one to go to. Thank you. Thank you. Very helpful. We are just about out of time. I do want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of your information with us. And it's it's been amazing and very eye-opening and answered a lot of questions that I've had for a long time. Before you go, I'd like to play a quick little fun get-to-know-you kind of activity, if you're on board with doing that. Sure. All right. So for a man who has traveled the world and is so busy doing everything... I want to know if you can name three things that you have never done, but want to do. <laughs> there are these electric surfboards that I've seen that have like hydrofoils and electric propulsion and just, you can surf on flat water. Basically. I really want to do that. That's one of my ideas to do soon. That sounds um, fun. I didn't even know that existed, but that that's now been added to my list as well. Yeah. I have never um, been to Utah. Um, and, and kind of the, you know, the, the fantastic national parks and places in Utah that I really want to get to. Um, and uh, what else? I, my wife comes from Chicago and I've never been up the Sears Tower or whatever it's called. And whenever I go back to Chicago, if I get to do that sometime soon, um, I would like to do that. Wow. See, that's, that's so cool because I read all the things that you've done and I'm like, man, like I'm so jealous. But then you say that I'm like, okay, but I've not, I haven't done the surfboard thing, but I've been to Utah and you got to explore the national parks and the go canyoneering. And I did rock climbing. It was a blast. So you're definitely going to love it. And Chicago's only two hours from here. So for me, like that wouldn't have even come up on my list, but if you do go and you get to go to the Sears tower, there is a spot and, and everybody who goes does this. There's a spot where it's all glass like the walls, the floor, the ceiling, it's all glass. And everybody gets in that little glass corner and takes a picture over the entire city in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, if you're afraid of heights, that might be a little bit tough. <laughs> I'll try it. <laughs> well, very cool. Thank you so much for sharing. Now I got a little bit more of an insight on the real Danny Kennedy. So I appreciate that. No problem. And, and great to meet you. And, and thanks for listening to your listeners and, and hopefully some people will go solar as a result of this. All right. We'll continue saving the world, my friend. Keep up all your hard work. Yeah. We'll see you out there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Bye. you. <laughs> Bye. Thank you again, Danny, for your commitment, patience, and flexibility. 
Listeners, let me fill you in on the behind the scenes action that went down to record this episode. We scheduled this interview and unfortunately Danny had a family member pass away. Then we had to reschedule the interview and there were issues with the scheduling and we ended up missing each other. On the third attempt at an interview, halfway through the interview, my husband, who usually watches the kids downstairs during an interview, got an emergency call and had to leave. All of that part was edited out. <laughs> I continued to conduct the interview like Supermom and put on a TV show to absorb the kids' attention while I finished out the interview. <laughs> and thanks to the power of editing, it all worked out and we were able to have an episode for you today. So a lot of work went into that, but it turned out fantastic. Again, thank you, thank you, Danny Kennedy. Now, what about next week's episode? If you have a bank, a credit card, retirement, whether it's through work or personal, life insurance policy, a credit card, or even use PayPal, your money could be funding a bunch of companies who are destroying the earth. And we're going to talk about what you can do to change that. So join us next week when we discuss sustainable banking with Marco Vangelisti. Sustainer Nation, you have your marching orders for this week's weekly challenge. Change your wash routine to be more sustainable by using cold water and doing a full load. And you can even use some solar energy to dry your clothes. Hey! <laughs> it's a free low maintenance machine. It's been around for eons. <laughs> oh, you guys are so great. I'm glad that you continued to listen to me and all of my silly puns and dad jokes. <laughs> I hope everybody has a wonderful rest of your week and continues to stay sustainable, and I will talk to you all again next time. Bye.